America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Greetings across my 400 affiliates. If you're watching on YouTube, the Hugh Hewitt channel, or on Instagram, the Hugh Hewitt show, welcome as well. Or just direct on HughHewitt.com. That music means it is the last radio hour of the week, the third hour of the Friday show, and that means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue, which we've been doing since 2013 with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu, including some of the best online courses in America. For those of you who are doing teaching at home or spending your time in quarantine or social distancing and diving into great, superb content, hillsdale.edu. All of our prior conversations going back to 2013, which began long ago with Homer, we've come back round again, in fact, to the Greeks, uh, are all collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Today, Dr. Arn is joined by Professor Carl Young. He has got his B.A. from the University of New Mexico, where he studied French and Russian. I, I guess his, the War of 1812 was on his mind. He's got a B.A. as well in classical studies and his doctorate from Duke University, which is a degree-granting university in North Carolina. We are pleased to welcome you, Dr. Young. Uh, we, we give Dukies a hard time here. We're, we're kind of Tar Heels around here. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I was a Tar Heel growing up, and... Um... By the grace of God, uh, Duke accepted me, and I was able to get my Ph.D. there. What do Arkansas people think of North Carolinians, Dr. Arn? generally, whether they be Tar Heels or Dukies? Well, they're like most people. They don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's very well said. Uh, Dr. Arn. look, you and I were corresponding this week about this project, uh, and I described it as we're trying to figure out how we got here. By here, I mean... May 2020, soon to be June 2020. How did the batons that were Jerusalem and Athens get passed? Why, why are we Western? And how would you describe that project, and why even attempt it? Yeah, I want to say about Professor Young first that he's the symbol of Hillsdale College because he's a classical scholar, he's a veteran, and he's a power lifter. Oh, oh, he's like me, except for the veteran part. Uh, he's, a, he's a power lifter. Oh, man. I, yeah, he, he, he wins the prize for the, the annual football team competition, at least for civilians and old people. Hey, Dr. Young, give us a little <laughs> powerlifting lingo. I actually have no knowledge of powerlifting lingo at all. Uh, well, powerlifting is a, is, a, is a competition that features three, three events, the, the back squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. Um, and my, my one claim to fame in, in athletics is that I – I was the 2014 North Carolina state champion in powerlifting. In my oh, my life. goodness. Powerlifting is how I, I describe my working without a producer. Uh, mm. Dwayne is kind <laughs> of my daily powerlift here at the Hugh Hewitt Show. But now let's get to, to matters serious. Uh, that is pretty impressive, actually, to be the North Carolina deadlift. Uh, but if you had to lift Dwayne every day, I think I could match you. Uh, Dr. Arn. Tell us about this project. Why do we care about those batons, and when do they become one? Uh, well, you, uh, two things happened in the ancient world, and they're different things, and yet they have a related effect. And they're both like a flash of lightning going off. They're so different from everything around it. Uh, and one of them happened in Jerusalem with the idea of, one God for everybody, eternal, and not of just a particular people. And the, the Jews brought us that, and then Jesus took it further. Uh, and then in Athens, this crazy little guy named Socrates 
uh, who was, you know, a very fierce individual, truth be told, uh, he just started relentlessly asking questions about the good without qualification, without our good, our laws, our people, just good. What is good? What is, what, what is, what, why do we live the way we live, and why is it right? And so he introduced more radically than anyone ever had a standard outside our practices by which to judge our practices. And that gives rise to first political philosophy and then philosophy. And those two things together, see, because they both have this thing, they have this universal attitude behind them. They look at humanity as a thing, as a, as a single thing. And uh, uh, there's an old joke about that because, of course, that, you know, we still have families and we still have countries of our own and we still live in places and we still have languages. But the mental weather is changed by the idea that you have something in common with everybody else. That's why the Declaration of Independence is such a powerful thing and resonates around the world. And so, and then the point is that, you know, those are, we've, we've uh, come, it's not apparent that we're following the Hebrew God or the Socratic dialogues in the way we live daily around here. For one thing, America itself, which is the inheritor of this Western civilization formed by reason and revelation, uh, it, it's, you know, it's different than the ancient regimes. And that means it's not enough. It's not enough just to know that argument at the beginning. Although at Hillsdale, we very much think one must begin with that argument, because that's where uh, our that that's where the questions that are most interesting were first asked and answered. We and, so, and we we began the second time around the track with Moses, the prophets, and the kings, and we will come back to Jesus after. And next week we will be talking about Socrates. But to set up Athens, the other baton, the second baton, reason, uh, we've decided to start with Pericles. And Professor Young, is that a good or a bad choice? Well, I think that's an excellent choice. Uh, you, you know, if you, talk, if you think of David as representing uh, leadership coming from Jerusalem, representing leadership founded on revealed wisdom um, of faith in God, uh, and Pericles, I think, does represent that other uh, that other pole of leadership founded on reason. And, and as you know, because you've read your Plutarch, right? This is the way Plutarch opens his account of Pericles, talking about the fact uh, that Pericles uh, was a man who studied philosophy. He was a man who was known to spend all day uh, debating the leading intellectuals of the day, like Protagoras, Zeno of Alea. Uh, Anaxagoras, major pre-Socratic philosophers, he could spend all day debating with them, discussing philosophy. And, and Plato even credits him with, uh, and Plato is usually a critic of Pericles, but Plato even credits him with using his philosophical studies uh, to help guide his policies and decisions, and, and this, also his speeches. So, uh, Dr. Young, <coughs> most people would be amused by the <coughs> correspondence I received from Dr. Arndt because it's, it's always in the same form. The first paragraph abuses me, the second paragraph educates me, and the third paragraph directs me. And he directed me that we would be doing Socrates uh, <laughs> when we got to the third paragraph next week. 
But the the thing that I wanted to ask for his edification in mind, would there have been a Socrates had there not been a Pericles? Is that for me or Dr. Arnold? That's for you, because, he, you know, if the boss goes first, then you have to agree with him. <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's true. Uh, I, I think, well, I think Socrates himself uh, suggests no. Uh, it, you know, in the discussion of different types of, of political regimes in the Republic, uh, democracy rates kind of low in the hierarchy that Socrates puts forward, but he does say it has one benefit, and that is it tolerates many different ways of life. And so that means that democracy, by and large, also tolerates philosophers, uh, which other regimes, say Sparta, for example, uh, may not tolerate uh, that kind of intellectual curiosity. Uh, so I, I think you could say at some level it, it did tolerate um, figures like Socrates, although, of course, we know in the end they ended up killing him. So uh, Well, well that was so, my uh, argument to Dr. Arne. I'll give him the final word on it. We have to start with Pericles because he creates the conditions preceding for Socrates in which to engage in philosophy that would otherwise not have been allowed in, say, the court of Persia or even in Sparta. Mm -hmm. Dr. Arne, you get the last minute before the break. Well, a Athens was more open than Sparta before Pericles. Uh, but... And, but, you know, Carl mentioned that Plato was a critic of Pericles, and what he was a critic of him about, chiefly, was that Pericles was a little bit like Cyrus the Great in Persia. He did so much for the people that he corrupted their morals. He, he gave them a lot of free stuff. He uh, built all of those wonderful buildings in Athens that we still go and see, and others that have fallen down with money that he seized from other nations by taking over an alliance and turning them into colonies. And so per Pericles was not the beau ideal of a statesman for Socrates, although a very great point Carl made, that a regime, the first test of regime is does it permit people to think. When we come back, we'll tell you who he is, when he lived, what he did, the short segment next with the biographical, biographical details of Pericles when we return to the Hilltail Dialogue. 22 minutes after the hour, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. the last radio hour of the week. That means the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu. Go and sign up for the absolutely free old-style snail mail newsletter speech digest that is in Primus which goes to millions of people every month. And also, all of our dialogues going back to 2013 are collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Today, Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale, is joined by Dr. Carl Young, who is a professor of classics at Hillsdale College. And uh, Professor Young, I'm going to turn to you in this short segment. Uh, Pericles, all of our Steelers fans think that's what they pick up at the seashore. Would you tell us the, the biographical details of Pericles so we can get him in a time-space continuum for those people? Uh, sure. So Pericles was, was born in 495 B.C. in Athens. Uh, he was the son of Xanthippus, who was himself a very prominent politician. And his mother, Agariste, uh, belonged to a very uh, wealthy and powerful uh, family, the Alcmyonidae, um, and uh, later, during the Peloponnesian War, the Spartans uh, used uh, a curse associated with this family as a pretext for starting the war. But wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, pause on that. How do you use a curse to start a war? 
Uh, well, one of the one of the demands that Sparta gave in the negotiations before the war uh, was uh, well, there were two two demands they made. One was that the Athenians revoke the the Megarian decree, and the second was that they uh, uh, remove the curse from Athens, which was an oblique way of saying uh, exile Pericles because his oh my gosh. was associated with this curse. Okay, uh, got it. So somebody somebody violated the Temple of Delphi. Is this right, Carl? And right. and Pericles hunted him down and killed him, right? And so that Pericles' but, ancestor. That's right. Yeah, Pericles, that's right. Pericles' family, his ancestor, and and you know that involves because some of the people who were killed were seeking protection from the statue of Athena in the te- in the temple. That's right. And so that was handy for the Spartans because everybody knew Pericles was the man. And so let's get rid of him. So Pericles arrives on the scene as a Kennedy, as a Bush, as a Trump, as a big family guy with connections. That's right. That's right. And he used those connections. I mean, first, he had a a great education. Uh, He was educated by the, the leading intellectuals of the day. Um, and he had, you know, fabulous wealth, which he used uh, to, to, to rise to power. Um, he, he, he sort of, he comes onto the scene politically uh, with his prosecution of a political rival named Kaimon in the 460s. Um, and Kaimon gets off, but they later start this uh, whole political rivalry that ends up with Kaimon being ostracized for 10 years. And, and that clears the way for Pericles to rise to power. Um, he also helped another obscure Athenian politician named Ephialtes uh, pass a measure to to get rid of the Areopagus, which was the old aristocratic council. Um, and this is something that Plato later uh, severely criticizes Pericles for, um, because he thought that it um, uh, poured too much unmixed liberty into the, the people, uh, the way he put it. Uh, meaning that he, he destroyed kind of the, the balance of the Constitution uh, by removing the aristocratic element. Is he a populist in the sense that that term is thrown around today to describe everyone with whom you disagree, but who has support in the public? I think that's fair. I think that's a fair categorization because uh, most of his opponents uh, were uh, old aristocratic oligarchic families. Uh, that didn't approve of the democratic policies that he pushed forward. Um, you know, Plutarch is somewhat critical as well. He he, he basically uh, says he's a demagogue until he until he obtains power, and then after that he sort of transitions to a more conservative government, an aristocratic government. Um, I think you can make a case that his 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 early policies, at least, were sort of populist in orientation. And so, Larry Arn, do you admire him with 30 seconds to the break? The long segment's coming up. We'll talk how he got to power and what he did with it when he got there. But do you admire him? Uh, you have to admire him. But uh, I, I love the contrast between him and Winston Churchill, whose war speeches are so different. Uh, so, we'll also, come, well, I'll talk about that after. We'll come back and discuss that in a moment. Don't go anywhere, America. You're listening to Hillsdale Dialogue. All of them are collected at HughForHillsdale.com. Head over to hillsdale.edu for the greatest online courses anywhere. Hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Last radio hour of the week. And this week we are talking on the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. 
And Professor Carl Young, Dr. Young, has been teaching classics there for some time about a fellow who lived 500 years before Jesus. His name is Pericles, and he was a great, great statesman. Maybe not the best, but he was a great statesman. He was a great builder. He was a great orator. Uh, I will turn to you, uh, Professor Young. What ought, you know, even the Steelers fans to know about Pericles? What ought they to put in their suitcase and take away about him? Uh, well, the biggest thing is he, shepherd, he shepherded Athens through its golden age. In fact, scholars often refer to uh, mid-5th century B.C. as the Periclean Age uh, because he, he is almost single-handedly responsible uh, for the image of Athens that we have today uh, with the Acropolis and the Parthenon, uh, Greek tragedy, Greek philosophy, all these things were, were flowering and happening uh, in, in part because of his leadership, or at least he created the conditions for those things to flourish. Uh, he helped uh, bring Athens uh, into a state of empire. Uh, he, he helped bring about um, the takeover of the Delian League, which was a defensive alliance that Athens went into with a number of other city-states after the Persian Wars. He basically uh, spearheaded an effort, uh, which was started before him, but he was largely responsible for bringing the treasury of that alliance uh, back to Athens, and he used that money uh, to then in turn fuel this monumental public building program uh, in the 440s and 430s B.C., uh, which resulted in the building of the Acropolis, the Parthenon, uh, the monumental gates before the Acropolis, uh, the massive golden ivory statue of Athena uh, by Phidias, who Phidias, if you don't know, was basically the Michelangelo of the ancient world, a fabulous sculptor. Uh, also, importantly, I think, uh, the Odium, which is a, a theater uh, that Pericles wanted modeled explicitly after the Persian king Xerxes' tent because it was known to be extravagant. Um, yeah, theater was also very important for Pericles' rise to power. I, I tell my students all the time uh, that Pericles' rival, Cimon, uh, gave the people bread because he famously fed the poor, uh, but uh, Pericles gave them circuses. Um, and so this, this great leader, and for whom an age is named, which is kind of a, a big deal uh, to have an age name for you. That's right. He, though, leads his people into a war the consequence of which, and we flash to the end, is disastrous, right? That's right. So, Larry Arn, he's not a great man if you lead your people to destruction. Well, first time I read carefully the funeral oration, the, the most famous thing, one of the most famous things said in the history of the world, Pericles' mm -hmm. funeral oration. It comes early in the Peloponnesian War. Some people in an early battle are killed, and he gives the oration at the funeral ceremony. And he more or less says in that oration that we can't lose because we're the most virtuous. And he speculates about some things the Spartans could do, and they would be of no avail. And, you know, compare that to the speeches of Winston Churchill, very different tone. And not that, and see, the Greeks are very proud, you know. The Greeks were meaner in hell. And, uh, and so they swelled up at that kind of talk, right? But of course, immediately after he gave the next thing in, in, in Thucydides' book, 
is the plague starts, and the plague would eventually kill uh, Pericles and two of his sons, I think, Carl. That's right. And and uh, and and you know, Athens lost the war, and uh, and you know it, it, the 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 Greeks. See, after when you think about the Greeks, compare them to the Romans. The Greeks' greatest contribution to history is not their power and their empire. Those were short-lived. It's the philosophy and the sculpting and the architecture, right? That And that's why, you know, but Rome, Rome is not as great as that, as, as great at that, in my opinion, at those things. And they follow the Greeks. Uh, but Rome was really good at rule, and they ruled the world for several hundred years, right? And the Greeks never did that. So uh, uh, Pericles is important because there was a kind of pride or hubris that was manifested there, and he was an extremely skillful man. He got everything right except one big thing. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he, could, he was a tremendous military leader. Plato waxes eloquent about hearing him talk, how great he was. And, you know, that's quite an endorsement, especially from a guy who doesn't approve of him. Uh, Dr. Young, I've got to ask, uh, there was a time when I could have said every schoolboy would learn Pericles' oration. That is no longer true, but it doesn't mean that the oration wouldn't deserve to be known by every schoolboy and girl. My question for you is, why is Pericles' oration considered so great? His funeral oration. Uh, well, in, in the terms in terms of classical oratory, it's it's truly one of the masterpieces uh, of, of Western literature. Uh, it it really is. If you if you read it in the Greek, it's some of the most moving, uh, passionate one of the most moving, passionate patriotic speeches you'll ever read. Uh, it, it truly is. It, it it gives me goosebumps just to think about reading it. <laughs> uh, so it's a beautifully crafted speech. And, and as Dr. Arne rightly said, Pericles had this great reputation for his oratorical powers. He was given this, this, na- this title, Olympian, which was an epithet usually reserved for the god Zeus um, because of his rhetorical abilities. He was said to thunder and lightning when he spoke. Um, and I think Thucydides, when he writes this funeral oration, he really captures a lot of the power uh, of, the, uh, of, of Pericles' speech. Now, Thucydides tells us he didn't probably didn't write it down word for word, but he captured the spirit of what was said there. So, Dr. Arn, you uh, and Hillsdale have contributed to the current administration and past administration writers, people who script uh, declarations for public figures. Ought they to study this? Is this a good thing for them to know and to try to replicate? Well, they all do. Everybody has to read that at Hillsdale College. And, (laughs) and, you know, it's, it's a... You know, I I actually think that, you know, I'm how partial can I possibly be? I think Winston Churchill's speeches are significantly greater than uh, Pericles, in part because they're so much better at enrolling right on the side of Britain, right? Pericles right. does that too. You know, we're free men; that's our strength. He makes that argument. He claims equal justice under the law. He claims that is what we have here in Athens. That's it. But he's he's not laying the ground for that properly, right? I mean, I I, I think myself that Plato is right about that. 
and we have the founders of America on our side in that argument, that he should not have uh, reduced the elements that divided power and channeled authority in Athens. And, you know, Athens, democratic Athens was guilty of crazy things, right? In the Peloponnesian War, they uh, sent a force off to Syracuse. It happened more than once. And then while it's on its way, they send another force to to arrest the leaders of the first force and drag them back and try them. And that was partly because all the citizens got together and vote in the in the amphitheater, and the amphitheater didn't hold them all. And so get out the vote was decisive. And so they would make a decision, and the people who didn't like it, who hadn't been paying much attention, they'd get all fired up, and they'd have another meeting the next week and change the decision. Not a good, not an uh, ideal means of governance. <laughs> That's it. No. Well, tell me a little bit, uh, Dr. Young, about the plague, because obviously we live in a time of a plague, and so ears are going to perk up. These are not new things in history. This was, however, significantly devastating on Athens in that it claimed not just Pericles and his sons, but thousands of other Athenians. That's right. Um, And we're we're not sure about a lot of things. Uh, We're not sure what the plague was. There's been a number of speculations uh, smallpox, uh, typhus, or typhoid fever have been proposed, um, and we're not, also not sure exactly about the extent of the uh, the death, um, because population figures are hard to come by in this period. Uh, but the way Thucydides describes it in, in Book Two of his Histories is, is thoroughly devastating to the uh, the values and customs of society. And he he, he focuses the, the part that always stays with me. Uh, is he talks about how um, the Athenians weren't able to bury their dead properly. Uh, the, the proper uh, religious rituals were not uh, observed because people were thrown into such fear and panic. Uh, they didn't want to get close to other people who might be infected. Uh, so they would just, one, one citizen might be building a funeral pyre for his relative, and some random Joe would come along and just throw another dead body on there which was total sacrilege for the Greeks. Um, so he, I think that's the, the big takeaway for me is the, the, the sort of social impact of the plague. Uh, Dr. Arm, would you say, would you say a lesson would be that you do not allow an illness, however widespread, to do great damage to your values and customs? Well, you know, in, in that world, they didn't, have the means that we have to try to figure these things out. And we can't figure them out fully, right? So, but remember, it it may have, well, I'll make the point, it may have had something to do with the the fact that Sparta was the great land power. And in the funeral oration, uh, uh, Pericles explains the strategy. We're going to fight them on the sea. And that means they're going to get to ravage our farmland. And we're going to get our food by trading, by sea. And they have the long walls that go from Athens down to the Piraeus, which is still the port of Athens, by the way. And, you know, what is it, six or eight miles, I think. And, and, uh, and so you, uh, the Spartan hoplites come up, you know, and they can get to the walls of Athens, but they can't take the walls down. And so Athens is secure. But that meant all the farmers had to come into town 
and it meant the population of Athens swelled up real big, and that meant that disease spread faster. With the consequence of the ravaging not only of the population but of the leadership, when we come back from break, we'll talk about what this all led to. So you have an, an Athenian great laying freedom and benefits upon his people, uh, starting a war and then dying on him. And uh, what is the consequence of that? Plutarch wrote about it. Plato wrote about it. Thucydides wrote about it. And Professor Young and Dr. Arne will comment on it when we come back. Welcome back, America. Chu Hugh at the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway on the last radio hour of the week. It's May the 29th, 2020. Uh, Dr. Arne and Dr. Uh, Young, I'm, I'm thinking about the notes you sent me. It's always bad to be blindsided. It's particularly bad to be blindsided by a friend. That's hurtful. But I mean to be blindsided by Plato is really to leave a mark. Uh, <laughs> did, did they know each other, uh, Dr. Young? Uh, do we have evidence that they were actually acquainted, Pericles and Plato? Uh, not Pericles and Plato. Plato uh, uh, was a generation after uh, Pericles. Um, Socrates and Pericles uh, may have overlapped or did overlap. So would Socrates um, have influenced Plato's opinion of, of Pericles, which is not high? Probably. Probably. I mean, Socrates famously uh, fought at the Battle of Potidia, uh, which was one of the first battles of the Peloponnesian War. Um, so he probably had some very strong feelings about uh, Pericles' policy. Um, as you say, uh, Plato has Socrates uh, treat Pericles pretty harshly in, his di- in one of his dialogues. He says, he says matter-of-factly, that, that Pericles was not good at politics. And he accuses him of making the Athenian people uh, worse than they were before his rule. Um, so he was a pretty harsh critic. Um, elsewhere, he, he treats some of his specific policies a little more obliquely. He doesn't name Pericles by name, uh, but he does critique the policy, especially the one I mentioned earlier about the Areopagus, the old aristocratic council. Uh, removing that, um, he thought, was a, a, a blow to the stability of the regime. Uh, for, for Plato, a, a, a sound regime is a moderate regime, one dedicated to moderation. Um, and, you know, Dr. Arne was right when he was talking about the funeral oration earlier. He does list some, vir- some virtues, such as equal justice under the law and freedom. Uh, but what he doesn't mention in that speech, the funeral oration, is the virtue of moderation. So Thucydides and Plutarch, Larry Arne, are high on Pericles. Uh, Plato is not. And, of course, your comparison, comparing him to Churchill is unfair to him in, in this respect. He does not have the modern uh, challenges that Churchill had before him, and so he can't rise to the same level of greatness, right? It's spears, not bombers. It's, it's uh, a fewer number of people, not the whole world that's engulfed in war. But is Plato fair, or, or is this a blindsiding? Is he unfair to him in his evaluation? Well, the foundation of political science is in, you know, Socrates and his students, uh, and and the criteria they use to judge them are not really changed by uh, by modern conditions. In other words, you know, the first criteria is 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 it good for the greatest the greatest good for the greatest number? And the way you get the greatest good for the greatest number is you encourage people to live a good life, a virtuous life, and to fall short on that 
is to fall fundamentally short. And, you know, I can show you comparing, well, you know, first of all, it, it's, uh, I'm not a scholar on Pericles in the way Carl is, but, uh, you know, he didn't, there's not that much of what he, what he wrote or what he said. And so I've read that. And you can just see that uh, there are very important things left out in that speech. For example, encouraging the Athenians to restraint in that speech would have been a good feature. And Churchill always does that. And George Washington always does that. And Abraham Lincoln always does that. Because it's a generous thing to do, right? Just, just think, Plato writes these things about Pericles. Uh, the other student, the only student of Socrates who was a statesman, Xenophon, you know, for, there, there were, what, four people, Carl, who wrote about Socrates who knew him, or three. That's right. Uh, Aristophanes and Antiphon also. Yeah, and so one of them is Xenophon, and he writes uh, a book called The Education of Cyrus, that's riveting. And Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Great, the founder of the Persian Empire, and his criticisms of Cyrus, which are extremely cleverly put, by the way, and never really made explicit as Xenophon's opinion, they're just like these these criticisms by of, by by Plato of Pericles. Uh, he didn't, you know, George George Washington. His message to America and the world is, you know, well, in his first inaugural, the, our republic is founded on the great fact and the whole course and economy of nature, the indissoluble connection between virtue and happiness. See. You have to be a good people. The Declaration of Independence addresses itself to the good people in the world, right? And so that distinction is replaced significantly in Pericles' funeral oration by power. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, you know, the, and you know the Romans? They were uh, the early Roman leaders. They were pious and restrained and fierce. Uh, and the Greeks were fierce. Um I, I, there's not time to read it, but I'll just mention that early in the Peloponnesian War, the Corinthians give a description to the Spartans of the way the Athenians are. And they're lethal. And you Spartans are too slow and too conservative. You stay at home. When we come back next week, Socrates is our subject. Cyrus in two weeks. Dr. Young and Dr. Arn, thank you. Thank you, Adam, Ben, and Dwayne. Thanks, all of you. Enjoy the weekend. Monday, Kurt Schlichter is in for me, and I'll be back Tuesday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.